0: The idea of building an athlete brand can be for every athlete in every sport, no matter your gender, no matter how good you are, no no matter how many years you're professional, or maybe you're in college, or you're still an amateur, it's for everyone if they want to do the due diligence of building that authenticity, building that trust over a sustained long period of time with their audience. Welcome to the Athlete Story podcast, your chance to tap into wisdom from athletes and experts in world-class sports. You are about to be taken into a chat about sports careers and related issues between an awesome guest and your listening host, the Sports Insider, repurposed Olympic mogul skier and former freeride world tour athlete, Anya Bobia. Hi
1: there, Anya here. Welcome back to Athlete Story. Today, we'll be looking at ways for you to make money leveraging your sports career and building your personal brand even if you've been retired for a while. My guest today is Josh Hoffman from the Institute for Athlete Branding and Marketing, and he'll let us in on how you can build equity as a personal brand. We'll talk about the four different types of communication channels to play with and the do's and don'ts and how to use all of that to turn your brand into a real business.
0: Let's welcome Josh Hoffman.
1: Hi Josh. Welcome to the show, Athlete Story.
0: Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to be here.
1: I'm so excited about this episode because I invited you on the show because I really love receiving the newsletter that you guys are making, so much insight and analytics about athlete branding and marketing and how you can monetize your sports career, even in life after sports, and I think this will be very very useful for the audience of Athlete Stories, so thank you for taking the time to do this.
0: Absolutely, let's dive into it.
1: Just first quickly, how did you get into working with athlete branding and marketing in the first place? What's your background?
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've always been a, a big sports fan. A sports fan. I grew up in Los Angeles. You know, there's a pretty good sports culture there. Grew up with the Lakers, with the Dodgers. And, you know, I actually studied once upon a time sports journalism in university. And in journalism right now, it's 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 kind of going through some sort of a revolution because of the internet and social media. And I kind of Once I was working in the media industry, I worked in sports journalism for about five years, kind of didn't love the direction that the, you know, the media industry in general was going. So I went into marketing and kind of went away from sports. And, you know, as I was learning marketing and different principles of marketing, I started to realize, you know, this was like 2010, 2011, I started to realize there's a tremendous opportunity for athletes to utilize some of these modern day marketing opportunities um, to build their brand, to build their personal brand. And I think if you, you look at like you know pre-social media and post-social media, you know, pre-social media it was only the you know A-list athletes that had the opportunity to get the kind of exposure through you know, traditional media. And now, post-social media or in the social media era, I should say, any athlete at any level. Whether you're the best player or not the best player, whether you play in a mainstream sport, whether you play a, a sport that maybe is is not so mainstream, every athlete today has the opportunity to receive mainstream exposure and more so to monetize that exposure to monetize their um, you know their profession, unlike athletes could do prior to the social media and internet age, and so. You know, it just kind of took me back to my love of sports, and that's when I started, you know, having conversations with different agents and different people in the industry. And eventually, one thing one thing led to the other, and I started the Institute for Athlete Branding and Marketing.
1: That's cool. So you say a lot of things have changed since you started sports journalism, and of course, that's you think about social media. But what more like concrete things can you say that are different from the athlete's perspective?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. So, you know, just in the mon- like the monetary opportunities, right, so there's eight different revenue streams that live through the Internet that any person, not just athletes, any person with an Internet access can, can take advantage of. So, for example, if an athlete in the 90s wanted to sh- sell shoes, you know, he couldn't necessarily get a percentage of those sales that he was driving because there wasn't a way to track, you know, him – advertising nike for example and then nike being able to track the amount of sales that were generated from this this athlete's endorsement well now more and more you know products and services are being sold on the internet or through the internet and so now you can track all that stuff so if lebron james for example i actually wrote an article about this lebron james loves wine he's you know that's like his one of his new things as part of his personal brand if lebron james signed up for the affiliate program of wine.com And basically every month he wrote an article, a blog post on his website saying, here are my top five wines from wine.com, check them out. He could get a percentage of every sale that he drives through wine.com. And we're talking about obviously LeBron James is, you know, uh, in a level of his own, but he could easily be driving millions of dollars a year just from one blog post a month. So you know, if you're not the LeBron James of your, of your profession, of your, of your sport, that's okay. You can still drive several thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in affiliate marketing, and that's just one of the eight digital revenue streams. And so, you know, that's something that I think a lot of athletes are not taking advantage of, or if they are, they're not taking advantage of it to, to the greatest extent. You know, Amazon, for example, has a terrific affiliate program, and there's all types of great affiliate programs on the Internet through different e-commerce and even traditional you know, brick-and-mortar stores that are not selling through the internet that athletes should absolutely be taking advantage of in terms of endorsing products.
1: So that sounds like uh, you're saying that athletes should be more going like to be influencers like we know from the social media and, and more the fashion market exactly. and stuff like that. Exactly. And I,
0: mm-hmm. you know, I think the, the common mistake that a lot of athletes make, unfortunately, is that they automatically assume that they're an influencer just because they're an athlete. And an influence is something that you actually have to earn. Just like playing time is something that you have to earn. Um, Being in the playoffs is something you have to earn. Nothing is given. And so I would say the same mentality has to be taken with actually being an influencer. Because being an influencer, just to say you're an influencer, doesn't mean anything. Being an influencer means that when you do sign up for Amazon's affiliate program, people actually buy the products that you are advocating for and you're actually making money from that Amazon affiliate program and not just saying, oh, I'm an influencer because I have 20,000 followers or because I'm an athlete or because I play for such and such team or play in such and such league. Influence is absolutely something you have to be earned.
1: Yeah, in, in a way, it it sounds wrong to say I'm an influencer. It kind of sounds to me like you're not the one deciding whether you're an influencer or not. That's more the, the audience that decides that. Right? Correct, correct. <laughs> So how, how do you become an influencer?
0: It's all about trust and authenticity, right? You know, being authentic to who you are as a person, not just as an athlete. I think that's another common mistake that we see with a lot of athletes where they only show their athletic life. And we know that, you know, these athletes are people, they have other interests and hobbies and they're involved in different initiatives, businesses, organizations, causes, their family members, you know, there might be mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, so showing the 360-degree view of who you are as a person, including but not limited to who you are as an athlete, is a great way to show authenticity. And you know, actually just being you know, true to who you are and not trying to fake something or even not trying to endorse a product that you don't actually even use in your life. Those are ways where today people can sniff out the lack of authenticity when you're just taking a picture with a product because somebody pays you to do that
1: can explain the difference between taking a photo with whatever product and posting it as opposed to making a story about it or integrating it into the life and who you are
0: we see especially on instagram because it's a you know hyper visual platform a lot of hey look i just got this in the mail check it out as opposed to here's how i use this to benefit myself or to benefit my life in some capacity and really Turning it into, as you said, a story not just a, and not just a few sentences about the product. When you make it more relatable to who you are as a person or as an athlete, you know, that's where the true influence is going to take place as opposed to just posting something because again, somebody paid you to do it. And I cannot stress enough that authenticity is something that takes several years to build. And yet with one post you can ruin it. Right. So you could spend two, three, five, ten years building your authenticity as an athlete, as a personal brand, and yet it all it takes is one tweet, one Instagram photo, one video on YouTube to effectively nullify those ten years that you just put into of actually building your authenticity.
1: Because then we know you sold out. Exactly. Is that what you say? Exactly. But, Ken, isn't that allowed? I mean, it's always been like that in the sports industry. We know that athletes are advertising for this and that.
0: Yes and no. I mean, I think that, you know, today advertising is not just limited to the, you know, Fortune 500 companies, right? I mean, think about it like this, right? Like in the 70s, 80s, 90s where athletes became part of pop culture, you know, you're, you're only talking about some of the biggest companies could afford to work with the biggest athletes I and mean, people didn't care about the 25th man on the baseball roster or about the 12th man on the basketball roster about the 52nd man on the you know nfl roster like they only cared about the quarterback or the star point guard or you know the the top home run hitter and so today all the athletes who are not the star quarterback who are not the top homer and hitter who are not you know, the, the the Star Point Guard can still work with a lot of companies who don't have necessarily the budgets of the Nikes and you know Wall Street and, and all those big companies, but do have some money and have some money that a lot of athletes would be interested in entertaining. And so, you know, that opportunity I think is is where the average athlete, which most athletes fall into, I would say, the average athlete bucket, still a lot of tremendous opportunity financially and otherwise to take advantage of Opportunities that because of the internet and because of social media are here today, these opportunities just didn't exist 10, 15, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so so what exactly do you need to have or to build in order to be able to take advantage of these opportunities or to use these strategies?
0: Because again, it's about authenticity and trust. That's what brand building is all about. The, the first thing you have to do is build that sort of relationship and do it on a consistent system basis we're talking in most cases on a daily basis to build your audience and then to build that sort of relationship with each person in the audience so that again they can see you somewhat iconic but also somewhat relatable Um, from there it's really about picking and choosing what makes sense for your brand you know like i said there's eight digital revenue streams not all eight are going to fit every athlete but i would definitely say four to six will fit most athletes and now it's about figuring out what makes sense for you you know we worked with an athlete for example who isn't really big into uh products in general so affiliate marketing just doesn't really make sense to her she's kind of like a minimalist in that capacity and
1: okay so let me just say affiliate marketing is where you get some kind of commission for selling somebody else's products right
0: correct correct and so yeah, that just doesn't make sense for her brain and that's where the authentic- authenticity again comes in if she's sort of a simple, minimalistic type of person, which she is, and her audience knows that's what she's about, um, it wouldn't make sense for her to all of a sudden start advertising all these products that she didn't even use. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's really about figuring out what fits your brand. But, with, you know, to answer your question, in short, it's for everyone. The question is how you're going to do it, what the details are going to look like. But the, the idea of building an athlete brand can be for every athlete in every sport, no matter your gender, no matter how good you are, no no matter how many years you're you're professional or maybe you're in college or you're still an amateur. It's for everyone if they want to do the due diligence of building that authenticity, building that trust over a sustained long period of time with their audience.
1: Okay. So um, we'll get back to those eight digital profit centers that you mentioned, but uh, let's just start with how you build that brand equity. What's, what's like the number one priority, is it the number of followers that you want that to be as high as possible or do you need, uh, what do you need to get started with this?
0: So you know I talked about the fact that athletes are not just athletes, they're people and so we actually borrow a term from uh, a group of professors that did a study on what they called the model of an athlete brand image. And that model breaks down an athlete brand into three primary categories. The first is their athletic expertise. So that's, you know, everything that deals with you as an athlete. So how many years you've been playing your sport, what sport you play, what position you play, you know, what awards or accolades you've won. Everything that falls into your athletic life, that's bucket number one. Bucket number two is your physical appearance. So for some athletes, that's fashion. For some athletes, that could be body hair, like James Harden, the NBA player, and his beard right now. His nickname is the Beard because he has this crazy beard. So for him, that would be his physical appearance. For some athletes, it's tattoos. It could be jewelry. Uh, it's so on and so forth. Uh, sex appeal, obviously, could fall into that. I mean, if you think about somebody like a David Beckham, um, you know, who who you know, obviously, a lot of athletes in general have very good for very good bodies for for obvious reasons, and so that could also be part of. Uh, the physical appearance bucket, and then bucket number three, which to me is the most important bucket, is marketable lifestyle. So that's literally what you're doing in your day to day life that doesn't involve your athletic life, right? So what what are you doing when you're not practicing and playing your sport, right? Those are the things that actually most people want to know because they they know you're an athlete, right? So they're going to watch you on TV, they're going to see you in the newspapers, they're going to see you online. Now, I'm not saying ignore that part of it, but I'm saying. Put as much into the marketable lifestyle bucket as you put into the athlete experience and expertise bucket. And when you're able to create this sort of combination between athletic experience and expertise, physical appearance and marketable lifestyle, that's where the magic happens right there. That 360-degree combination is powerful, and that's what's going to separate the athlete who only focuses on his or her athletic life versus the athlete who gives you that 360-degree view of their life.
1: Right. And so that's why uh, an athlete who may not have uh, the best merits uh, on the planet uh, or or super outstanding athletic capacity can still, in this game, beat the one who is uh, Superman in this context.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a a very good point.
1: Okay. So um, I know you talk about uh, owned versus, I don't know if you call it borrowed, but the, the media platforms that you can use to, to communicate these, these buckets. <laughs> Correct. Uh, what, what, what does that mean?
0: Right. So, it, so this is actually like hardcore marketing now. This is what's known as converged to media. And basically the idea is that pre-internet you had owned media, earned media, and paid media, and they all effectively lived in silos. The internet comes, and now they all work together, or they should work together, in order to achieve what they call a, like a good marketing mix. Now, social media added a fourth item here, which we call uh, rented media. And so basically, what, what the idea here is, is to take all these four types of media and create a strategy in which they're all synced, Therefore increasing the sum of the parts and ultimately the results that are tied to that sum. So in short, you know, I don't want to go too much into like hardcore marketing here But owned media is any any media that you outright own. So this isn't in most cases your website and Your email list um, Earned media is usually PR. So this is when other people write about you or other people share your content uh, rented media is social media. Why do we say rented media because today you know, when you go on Facebook or Instagram and you open an account, it's basically free to have an account on these platforms. If Facebook decided tomorrow that they're going to charge every Facebook page or every Instagram account $5 per month, now it's $5 per month. That's the rent. So today it's free. Who knows? In the future, they might, they might pay for it. So the, the idea here is that, you know, social media is not owned media because you don't own Facebook. You don't own Instagram. And when they make changes, they make changes that are best for them and not necessarily best for the users in all cases. And then the last of those is uh, owned, earned, rented, and and uh, and uh, which one am I missing? Owned, earned, rented, and paid, paid, and and paid. thank you. So paid media is advertising, right? So it could be social media advertising, could be Google ads, could be advertising uh, offline. Um, and and so the idea here is, for example, to create what we call a funnel in marketing, where we start with paid media. Let's say we start with a Facebook ad, right? From that Facebook ad, we get people to go to our landing page and our website. So now we go from paid media to owned media. It says, hey, enter to win a signed baseball from me. Give me your email. So now I got you to come to my website that's owned media. I also got your email that's also owned media. And then after you sign up, it's going to say, and to increase your chances of winning, please share this with your friends. So now we've also achieved earned slash rented media. Right. Across that entire sort of funnel,
1: right. So, are you actually advising athletes? Well, if they have a product or something to sell, to to go pay to get uh, go for paid media, do advertising to get people to their website. Yeah, it's
0: you know it's a good question because uh, I think a lot of athletes would say, "Why would I ever put money into advertising if I'm an athlete?" And again, there's there's good reasons to do that. For example, if you want to build your email list, I think that's a tremendous you know opportunity. A lot of people still look at email marketing as this sort of um, old school marketing. It's actually still really arguably the best form of online marketing um, is email marketing. Most athletes do not have an email list. A lot of purchases come from email marketing. They don't come from social media, um, at least not you know in in the present day. That might change in the future. Um, and so you know if it makes sense, if, if, if we're building, you know, because the idea here is if I can have a, a large email list, then I can, in my using my email list? I can actually use a lot of affiliate marketing. Cause again, a lot of purchases today are coming through email, not through social media. And so the idea is if I, if I invest, you know, a dollar into Facebook to get a single email address, so $500 gets me 500 emails. And then of those 500 emails, I make $2,000 in affiliate marketing every month, I'm now up
1: $1,500. Right.
0: So 500 gets me 2000 if you're following the math.
1: Yeah. And also seems like it would be skipping a step kind of because I remember when I was competing in mobile skiing, I would have to go down to the race office and send a press release with the fax machine or go to a phone booth. <laughs> And, and make the calls to the different journalists so that they could communicate out to the people who wanted to know how I did and stuff. But now you, you're saying you can, you can write those kind of press releases, but directly to the fans if you have an email list. And you don't yeah, need I mean, to can, depend on whether the media has a better story or that you can get it out there.
0: Absolutely. And and moreover, it, it's that it doesn't even have to be after the fact anymore. You can even show a lot of this stuff live, you know, because obviously Facebook and Instagram and Twitter all have live you know, broadcasting capabilities now. So there's tremendous opportunities to show people what you're doing before you compete, while you're competing in some cases, and after you compete. And again, that 360-degree view, you know, it's it's like, you know, for me, if I, if I could tell you, you know, I know what my favorite athlete's pregame meal is. I know what he does in warm-ups. Then I go watch the game, and then after the game, I know where he's going out to dinner. I mean, the amount of equity that he's building in me as, as a fan, I mean, it's through the roof, right? Like, when was the last time, you know, in the history of sports where you knew all those things about your favorite players? Like, it's just crazy the amount of access that we have now to these people and the people that take advantage of it and monetize it are the ones that win here.
1: Right. right. Let's get back to those eight digital profit centers because um, I'm sure that people want to know how can they make money of this because it's an investment of time, right? If you have to write all these things and post all these things. So what are those eight ways? Correct.
0: It's an investment of time and it's also an investment of money. So the eight digital revenue streams and you can check it out Mm -hmm. um, on our website as well, iabm.co. First, we have, Mm -hmm. we talked about affiliate marketing. We have sponsorships. So this could be, for example, if you want to have a podcast, so you can get a sponsorship for your podcast. You could have sponsored content, which is a company Mm -hmm. pays you to do a series of videos that are not necessarily about them, but that they're sponsoring. So it's, ABC video series presented by XYZ company You have revenue sharing through YouTube and through Facebook So in other words YouTube and Facebook run ads Against your content and you get a percentage of the ads those or of the revenues rather that those ads generate for Facebook and YouTube
1: So sorry is that when if you post a video and there's an ad before that video starts is that what, what you're talking? about?
0: Correct, correct, okay so we have e-commerce number four. Number five, we have original mm-hmm. content. What, what does that mean? It means that you could effectively set up your own Netflix style membership program where people pay for specific content or specific access to you. Mm-hmm. We have on top of that.
1: Can you give an example of that?
0: Let's say you want to have, and you know, this is kind of old school, but there's a new school way of doing it. Let's say you want to have a fan club, right? What does that mean? It means every week or every two weeks, I'm going to do a private live chat, me being the athlete, with my diehard fans, and they're going to pay $10 a month, $20 a month, and they're going to get to be part of this live chat.
1: Right. That's actually what the media used to do in the old days, right? They would have you uh, exactly. come on. Uh, yeah.
0: Exactly. Right. Or, or you could, instead of doing live content, you could do produced content. So you could put out specific content for these fans who sign up for you know this sort of membership offering so original content either way you cut it live or pre-produced is a hugely untapped opportunity for athletes we also have memberships now memberships can be for actual physical things so for example a lot of athletes get a ton of free gear right and so you could have you ever seen these uh you know these these companies that send out these boxes every month of like dog treats and like you know, makeup and there's all there's all these like companies now that they call them the, these like you know like, for example the dog treats one is called Bark Box. What does it mean? It means you have a dog and instead of going to the store every every month to buy new dog treats for your dog or dog food, this company Bark Box is going to send you once a month every month a like little kit of dog treats and you kind of you can customize and everything and you it's a m- membership fee so I don't know I don't know how much they charge fifty dollars or something so athletes can do the same thing they get a bunch of free gear they can put all their free gear into and disseminate it to their fans that want to pay for this monthly subscription. On top of that, you can do giveaways. So, you know, some athletes will get free tickets to certain sporting events that they participate in. So you can say, you know, everyone who is part of this membership program also will be entered automatically into winning one of 10 free tickets that I get every month. So memberships is a big opportunity there. So we talked about affiliate marketing and, you know, the idea here is that all of these revenue streams are not necessarily for every athlete. But there's definitely, I would say, four to six that no matter who the athlete, no matter where they're at in their professional career, or what sport they play, or how much exposure they're already getting, with the right strategy, that's really what we focus on at the Institute for Athlete Branding and Marketing. With the right strategy, you can pull these together to make decent money, right? And what you put in, you're going to get out, uh, literally and figuratively. But also a lot of athletes today who are already, you know, you wake up and you have ten thousand more followers just because can take advantage of these things to make what would be, you know, considered really, really good money for the average person. I can give you some statistics that, you know, certain influencers, right? So these are not athletes; these are influencers who have spent years building up their personal brand, who are now making literally dozens of thousands of dollars per month through each of these re- re- revenue streams, right? So again if you're an athlete you already have that camaraderie you already have that cultural respect that comes with athletes in today's sort of you know society if they if these influencers who you've never heard of before can make hundreds of thousands of dollars per month and millions per year then athletes certainly can do it if they do it through the right marketing and right sort of athlete brand building
1: yeah well and it might not be the main focus though because if you're like an influencer quote unquote and that's your lifestyle then you have all day all night to do your posts and your stories and your this and your that but if you're an athlete your your prime job is to be good on the field or on the court or (laughs) so correct
0: but we all we also know that athletes have people that are already in their lives that can help with this and we also know that you can hire freelancers at, you know, relatively, uh, you know, cheap rates, uh, inexpensive rates, I will say, to help them with this. I'm not necessarily saying athletes should invest more time in building their brand. I think that you have to approach this like a business, right? And so, yeah, yeah. for example, when LeBron James, and I know I'm just using him as an example, which is probably not the most relatable example, but when LeBron James says, "I'm going to go and invest in a new pizza company," LeBron James is not making. The pizzas. He's playing basketball.
1: <laughs> but right. he's
0: investing in the business. And so I think athletes have to look at this the same way where, you know, this is not just, oh, let's put a few photos on Instagram or let's put a few videos on YouTube or let's put up a website because it looks cool. It's no. I'm approaching this like a business. I'm going to invest a certain amount of time and money into it. And I'm also going to build a team around me that is going to help me facilitate the day-to-day so that like you said, I can focus on the real money maker, which for most athletes is the sport itself.
1: Yeah, because I can see some coaches going crazy with <laughs> with a lot of phones on the courts and the, for people having to, or athletes having to, to post this and post that in the middle of training might not be the best mix. <laughs> uh,
0: well, I mean, listen, the, the, the videos and the cameras are already there, right? Because the media in, in, in many cases is already there filming practices and, and so on and so forth. But obviously, Certain practices are closed to the media, so let's put those aside. But you know, a lot of media are, are at different sort of, um, you know, non-game, um, you know, media opportunities. And so, if if I'm an athlete, I'm saying, okay, well, every time that the media is invited to take footage or to take photos or whatever they need to do, I'm also going to bring my video person to do the same right. thing.
1: Right. Right. Well, that makes sense. And like you say, it's an investment. The, the athlete who retires with, I don't know, um, a million followers has equity Absolutely. there. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I want to get to uh, one more thing, which is uh, you talk about uh, the athlete's life story being everything. And of course, me being athlete's story, <laughs> I think that's very interesting. But I'd like to hear your perspective and hear, hear it coming from you. Why do you say the athlete's life story is everything?
0: literally yeah (laughs) you know we all have interesting life stories and we all have a platform today to tell those stories and I fundamentally believe that the more you know about somebody the more empathy the more respect the more admiration that you have for them Um, no matter what that story is some people yes have better stories than others but you know something really interesting happened to me I was watching the show Narcos on Netflix which is if, if people don't know that show, it's about Pablo Escobar, who's the Colombian drug lord who killed you know, thousands of people and ruined thousands of people's lives and was involved with crazy drug trafficking. So I, I watched this series. It was a fiction series on Netflix. And I walked away from that series actually feeling a little bit bad for him. Why did I feel bad for a Colombian drug lord who's considered the biggest narco-terrorist in the history of modern-day drug trafficking? Because... I got to see, you know, through this this series, who he was as a person. He was a family man. He was a ter- terrific father. He actually loved his country, Colombia. Did he do some pretty, you know, crazy things and some things that you know, obviously were illegal and immoral? Absolutely. Do I condone those things? Absolutely not. But I understood more about him than just the title narco terrorist. And so, I think athletes can take something from this, which is to say. You know, if you're just an athlete, you just have that term athlete next to your name. You don't have father, daughter, you know, uh, animal rights uh, activist or, you know, what, what, whatever the different, you know, things that you're involved with on a day basis that might not necessarily have to do with the sport that you play and the reason that you're in the limelight. Um, I think LeBron James does a really, really, really good job of this. You know, he's very well known for speaking out against things that he's passionate about. And again, like, I brought up the fact that he loves wine, right? Like, loving wine has nothing to do with him being a basketball player. But that's what he talks about because that's part of his life in some capacity. Uh, He obviously cares enough about it to share it with his his audience. And there's opportunities there for him to monetize if he wants to do that through, for example, like I said, marketing. Tying all those things together, giving your fans the ability to know where you've come from, how you've got here, that it hasn't been all fun and games. That's the relatability aspect, right? But then also showing the larger-than-life aspect of, you know, this is why you should look up to me and admire me. When you give that whole life story also your day-to-day story today, I can't stress enough, that is absolutely where the magic happens. And that's where you're going to, especially for the athletes who, again, a lot of athletes, you know, well, I'm not LeBron James. Well, I'm not, you know, Ronaldo. Well, I'm not Messi. Well, I'm not Roger Federer. Well, I'm not Serena Williams. Like, that's true. The average athlete is not one of those individuals. And yet, at the same time, you're still an athlete, you still have that cultural respect, and you have the platforms today to connect with the people that you want to connect with in terms of the audience that is either following you already or that you can attract through the right types of storytelling and brand building.
1: Okay, so so what are the right types? Because I often hear athletes say, well I just don't know what's so interesting about me. And it, which can be hard to see you uh, if you look at yourself, right? You can always see what's interesting about other people but not necessarily what's so interesting about you because you're just you <laughs> to you, you know?
0: <laughs> correct. That's correct. I mean, listen. We all have intricate and very detailed lives and we all do things based on, you know, like for example, we were, we we were consulting with an athlete who actually retired from From her sport and was going to business consulting based on creating a, you know, her her whole thing is Mm -hmm. why was I successful as an athlete? Because I was mentally strong and she was able to relate mental strength to the business world. So there's a lot of things that athletes are exposed to that can be translated to other aspects of life that are interesting to enough people, right? You don't have to go and get you know, 50 million followers to be a successful athlete brand. You only need you know, sometimes a few thousand and sometimes a few hundred thousand. There's enough people out there in the world mm-hmm. that will be interested in your story. It won't appeal to everyone, but it'll appeal to enough people I- to where you can monetize and create what we would call a successful athlete brand.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's where the the story becomes valuable to yourself. Like, if if you dig deep into your story, you'll see patterns of uh, her. In her example, it would be events where the mental strength was exceptional, or she knew how to mobilize it in ways that that she can talk about, and and that's that's how she finds her own value in her own story.
0: Exactly, and by the way, like you know, some of the examples I gave were were pretty meaningful, right? Like mental, mental strength or like being a, you know, like a political or social activist. Let's say you're an athlete who literally all you do is you play your sport, you practice your sport and you play video games. That's, That's all you do. That's fine. Now your audience is going to be the video game community or that specific video game that you play. And that's a pretty, pretty big audience. And so, you know, like it doesn't have to be, you know, meaningful and admirable all the time. It can also just be. Listen, I'm am a 19 year old kid who's lucky enough to be in the NBA, and I when I'm not you know practicing and playing basketball, I'm playing video games. So to so build a community of video game players.
1: Before we round up, I just wanted to hear if um, if you're an athlete, you know you have stats, and you know I've won this many this, and uh, I've been in the top ten for this many years or whatever how do you put a value or a number on your brand equity
0: that's a good question you know i think um, the way that we recommend people to do this is is a very forward-thinking approach but everything today on the internet is, is is measurable right so whether it's clicks website visitors followers engagement rate so on and so forth you know all those numbers have a value to different companies for example different sponsors or different brand partners um, and so on a very basic level if i know that you know the local pizza uh, chain in my in my city um is, pays a dollar per click to google to get people to come to their website so i can do a campaign with that local pizza chain that says Every website visitor that I drive from my platforms, my website, my social media, my email newsletter, et cetera, to your website, you're going to pay me a dollar. That's a very basic example, but all these numbers are transparent, mm-hmm. and you can actually literally just do a Google search and say, how much is a website click today worth in the United States, or worth in Germany, or worth in Japan? And Those numbers are all out there, and so... That's the beautiful thing about the internet is that it's mm-hmm. all black and white. It's all transparent and it's all trackable. And so, you know, those opportunities I believe are going to become more common um, because, you know, again, if, if you're not the top 1% of the athletes, you know, most companies are not just going to say, hey, I'm going to give you, you know, a, you know, X amount of money to just, you know, say, say my company's name a few times. It's like more and more marketing is going to results driven marketing. And I think. Along with that, we're seeing a lot of athlete contracts, you know, playing contracts that are becoming more incentive based. And so I also think that sponsorship and endorsement opportunities, et cetera, Mm -hmm. for athletes are also going to become slowly but surely incentive-based. So yeah, there'll be a there'll be a base number. So you know, instead of, you know, maybe you would have gotten five thousand dollars ten years ago, so we're gonna give you two thousand, but we're also gonna pay you for every single website visitor. We're also gonna pay you for every person who signs up on the landing page that we create for the athlete, right? So if there's a, you know, let's say there's, I don't know, like Best Buy wants to do a campaign to collect people's email addresses. So the athlete drives people to a specific landing page that Best Buy creates for the athlete. And every time somebody enters their email, the athlete makes $5 per email, right? And over the course of, you know, three months and 10,000 emails collected, that's, you know, $50,000, which that deal wouldn't have been worth six thousand dollars 20 years ago it might have been worth twenty thousand dollars so the upside is also greater in this sort of incentive based model
1: right And so usually it's the the company or the, the endorser that will set up the whole technical part of it and make sure you get your your numbers in there for the click-through rates and all that yeah and again we're, you know
0: we're talking about like pretty intense marketing but but that's where I think this is going and I think that the upside is greater than it's ever been with that you have to actually not perform which i think is exactly how sports has always been where you know we see it now more than ever it's what have you done for me lately right i mean fans feel that way Man- management feels that way like if you're not performing on the field or on the court you know you're gonna have a hard time staying on there for a long time so i think athletes have to have that same sort of approach and mindset with the way that they build and monetize their brand
1: right so would you right along with where you have your results athletic results would you have branding results as well like this many followers uh, this much engagement on my instagram whatever uh, those kinds of
0: stats absolutely you know you kind of cited a, a few minutes ago where it's the latter is going to become a lot more important right it's like you might not be the, the best athlete or have the best numbers or the best you know accolades whatever in your in your sport But we've seen already lots of examples of athletes who are not necessarily the best athlete or even in like the top, you know, 50% of their sport who are in many ways in the top 10% from a athlete brand perspective. And that to me is what's exciting here is that it's democratized, you know, the internet and social media has democratized, you know, the opportunity to build an athlete brand as opposed to. You know, 10, 20 years ago, it was only reserved for Michael Jordan, Muhammad Ali, Wayne Gretzky, you know, etc.
1: So that's good news for everyone out there. (laughs) If you're willing to put in the effort, there's ways for you to stand out and and make some money off of your sports, even if you're not the number one. Well, thank you, Josh. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. Thank
0: you for having me. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate it.
1: I'll make sure to make a link to your website, iabm.co. Is that right? Correct. Thanks, Josh. Take care. Thank you. If you have any fellow athletes or people who you think could benefit from listening to this, of course, I'd be very grateful if you'd share this podcast with
0: them. Thank you for listening to Athlete Story. You are awesome. If you are yourself a world-class athlete or former, don't hesitate to come over on athletestory.com and check out more free stuff and resources to help you thrive in and benefit from your sports career. Dare to prepare. Then get yourself out there. Stay in touch in <laughs> time.